Praise the Lord. So good to see everyone here this evening. Amen. Leo, so good to see you again. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I'm excited tonight. Not in body, but definitely in spirit. Amen. Praise God. The Lord Jesus Christ is here. He has awesome things in store for us this evening. Amen. Do you believe that? If you do believe that, you will receive something from Him. Amen. If you're kind of on the fence or you're not so sure, good luck. I hope, I hope that it works out for you. <laughs> but if you can expect something from the Lord, you will receive something from the Lord. Praise God. That's the kind of God we serve. Let's all stand. Amen. There are people gone tonight, people at uh, General Conference, people uh, with illness, disease, infirmity. Let's pray for each and every one of them. Amen. Let's pray for this service that God would move, He would have free reign, and, and His will would be manifest here tonight. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a glorious Savior. We heap again glory and honor, worship and praise under the Most High God. Thank You, Jesus, for Your manifest presence here in this place. Thank You, Lord, for invitation into the very throne room of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray for each person missing tonight, those at General Conference, those missing because of illness or infirmity. I pray in Jesus' name, Your blessing upon them now. Protect them on the road. I pray specifically for those with infirmity. I take authority over sickness and disease and infirmity now. By the power and by the authority that You've given us as children of the Most High God, Hallelujah, Jesus. We will exercise dominion in this, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. We command healing to take place now in the name of the Lord God of hosts. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we're so thankful for You that You are our great physician, that You bear our sicknesses and our infirmities. We don't have to bear them ourselves. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for taking care of each and every one of our needs. Oh, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let your perfect will be accomplished here tonight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. What a glorious God we serve. And He is altogether faithful to us. Amen. Before we start, uh, just a, uh, one announcement. We are having a missionary service, uh, not tonight, but next Wednesday. Amen. Uh, it's a little bit short notice, but that's as soon as we can get it to you. Amen. So, uh, missionary service this Wednesday. I'm looking forward to it. Brother and Sister Patterson, uh, they're from Romania. Amen. Uh, young couple, they're going to bring their two, I'm assuming, very beautiful daughters, very young daughters, amen, uh, with them, and it's going to be a great time. Praise God. Please come. Also, uh, before we get started, I was listening during break, I was listening to a Jeff Arnold uh, message, and um, those of you that know him, uh, to know him is to love him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you probably punched me if you heard me say that. But uh, 
before his message, which I actually never did get to hear uh, because break was closing, but I did get to hear these these points that he made, uh, and I thought they were I thought they were so powerful. I wanted to throw them out. This is exactly how he did it. It had nothing to do with his message, but God felt like it. He gave it to him, and he's going to give it to the people, and then he moved on with the message. Uh, three points. One. The Lord said to him, My promise is as powerful as my presence. My promise is as powerful as my presence. Amen. What an awesome idea that is. God's promise is awesome. It's powerful. The second thing he said is expectation is the birthplace of the miraculous, which I alluded to earlier. Amen. Expectation is the birthplace of the miraculous. The third point that uh, impacted me the most is this. Unpracticed truth is no better than false doctrine. Unpracticed truth is no better than false doctrine. Amen. We claim to have the truth. We shout about it. We worship because of it. Amen. And we do. But are we doing it? Are we living it? It doesn't do any good to have truth if we do nothing with it. Amen. And that kind of is going to be segue enough, I suppose, for our message tonight. Uh, which we'll take out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I've entitled this message, The Authority to Initiate. Authority to Initiate. Amen. As we look at the book of Ephesians, uh, we, we find there's all kinds of interesting things in the book of Ephesians, but about the book of Ephesians, one thing that is interesting is that, is that uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul alone. Other epistles that are written by Paul are written also with other individuals. For example, 1 Corinthians 1.1, we read, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. Galatians 1.1 and 2 says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither of man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, under the churches of Galatia. So in a lot of these, uh, Paul had some help. Paul is the one that God used to ultimately transmit the truth, but he had help writing these things. In two cases, the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans, we read that Paul is the sole author. Now, he wrote other epistles, uh, Timothy, Titus, but those books were written uh, for the most part, to individuals and, and people that, that Paul probably considered to be like in a father-son relationship in the Lord. But it's, it's important, this distinction. It's made in the Bible by God, I believe, on purpose. That Paul only is listed. And why is this important tonight? Well, because both Romans and Ephesians contains a unique revelation that was given only to Paul. Romans contains the revelation of salvation by grace through faith. 
It's explored in depth. In Ephesians, we find a unique revelation of who God's people are. Which is what we're going to be discussing tonight. At least one aspect of it. This was Paul's revelation. It was given to him. Him only. No one else. God transmitted this unique truth through the Apostle Paul. He was the authority on it. He was the one that was responsible for it. When you stop and think about it, Paul was given a, just a scary amount of responsibility before God. He was continually standing before God, responsible for churches, responsible for the very doctrine that we've received in Scripture. Most of it was given to Paul, not Peter, not to John, whom the Lord loved. It was given to Paul. That goes so far that three times Paul calls this my gospel. Twice in Romans, once in 2 Timothy, he calls it my gospel. Nobody else in Scripture called this my gospel. Jesus Christ Himself never called it His gospel. He referred to it as the gospel. How much responsibility did this man have? I'm speculating here. I'm not saying that this is Paul's gospel. I'm saying that he, three times he refers to it as his gospel. He felt responsible for it. How much responsibility will God give to an individual? How much authority will He give to one individual? Paul had an awful lot of both. Alright, where was the book of Ephesians written from? Like most of the epistles, it was written from jail. That's right. It was written from Rome. He wasn't even staying at the Motel 6. I'm sure the light was left on for him. <laughs> but uh, now he was in prison, folks. Roman prison. And I think uh, there's a spiritual principle found here as well. That if you would ascend to the highest, you must first ascend to the lowest. Matthew 20, 25-28 says this, Jesus called them unto Him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. They that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen. If we would move forward in the kingdom of God, we have got to humble ourselves. Luke 14.11 says, Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Notice that we must first humble ourselves. 
the initiative is placed on us. We must act first. If I will humble myself then, God in His time will exalt me. I do the humbling, God does the exalting. Now the reverse is also true. If I do the exalting, then God will do the humbling. Nobody wants that. Having been in both instances, having experienced both sides of that coin, I highly recommend you humble yourself and let God exalt you in due season. Amen. Luke 18.14 says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Amen. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10 says, I'm beating this point for a reason. Now that he ascended, what, it, what is it but he, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Jesus exemplifies this spiritual principle both physically and spiritually. Amen. And I feel like Jesus is worthy of emulation. If this is good enough for Jesus, well, it's good enough for me. And understand, humility isn't a feeling. I am humiliated. That's not what we're talking about. It's a decision. We practice humility. It's not something we feel. Both Proverbs 15.33 and Proverbs 18.12 both conclude with this phrase, and before honor is humility. If we would have honor in the kingdom of God, and I think we all want honor, it's for us to have. But to get it, we must walk through a place of humility first. Where does promotion come? From the Lord. So don't seek promotion. Don't study for promotion. Study and seek to practice humility. Amen. One thing that you'll receive in, in a place of humility is revelation. Revelation of truth. God will explain things to you. He will share things with you. He will open your mind to things that you never would have, could have experienced before. Such is the case with the Apostle Paul. He was continually in a state of humility. Sometimes maybe forced on him. Other times it was chosen. Because of that, God could trust him with things that he couldn't trust other people with. He loves all people the same. But he doesn't trust everybody the same. What did the Gipper always say? Trust, but verify. That's right. Trust, but verify. All right, God's people. God's people are designed to be a very diverse and distinct group of people, one from the other. Amen. We have all people from all walks of life, all skin colors, cultures, 
We have people with different life experiences, different personalities, different gifts and callings and talents, different ministries. We are supposed to be a very diverse group of people. But when religiosity sets in, folks, everybody starts to look the same. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things that may be a little bit controversial tonight. But I'm going to ask you to be patient with me, okay? Before you hang me on the tree. Wait just a moment. And let me explain my positions here, okay? This one's the first one. When, when the body of Christ gets together... It's supposed to be a very dynamic group of people, a very, uh, a very different group of people meeting together as one body. And we, we've spoken about this before. Some people are the feet, some people are the hands, the eyes, the, the lungs, you know, etc., etc. We can't all be an, an eye. It just, that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. How is the eye going to get nourishment? What is the eye transmitting to? There's nothing there. So we need everybody. And I'm not talking about holiness tonight. But let me pose it as a question. Do I need to wear a suit and a tie to be saved? Do I need to wear a suit and a tie to be a Christian? Okay, I do. And I'm going to continue to. Because I think that it's important for me anyway that I give God my very best. This is my very best. If I had a $5,000 Armani suit or whatever it is they cost and $800 silk tie, I would wear that to church. But <laughs> I don't. I don't have any of that. I have what my best is. And you give your best, whatever that is. That's fine. God doesn't expect us all to have a 5,000 Armani. I hope. I don't believe He does. But I think it's okay to, to give God our very best. And that includes the way I dress. But I don't have to dress. I mean, there's no uniforms here. And the point I'm trying to make is this. When religiosity creeps into a, to a, a congregation, we all start speaking the same phrases. We all shout praise the Lord at the, at the same moments. And uh, all the preachers look the same and sound the same and, and preach on the same things. And uh, I, I'm beginning to have a problem with that. And the reason for that is that when it starts coming to ministries, when it starts coming to spiritual matters, it creeps into that as well. Everybody's got to be a soul winner. Now, let me step back for a moment. I think everybody can. I think everybody should teach Bible studies, give their personal testimony, reach out to people, minister to needs. I think we can all do that given our personalities, our talents, our gifts, our callings, all of that. But I think we're all capable and, and, and ought to be doing that. Okay. I'm not called to be an evangelist, though. You're, 
unless God really moves. You're not going to see me bringing 50 people into church at any given time. There are people that do that. They bring 20 people, 30 people in at any given time. That's their gifting, folks. God has gifted that to them. That's so wonderful. That's, that's amazing. I have never done that. I've tried. I've reached out to people. I've taught Bible studies. At one point, I was teaching my whole Taco Bell crew a Bible study. But they never came to church. So, maybe they are, maybe some of them are today. Yeah, who knows? But uh, not while I was there. That's not my, my, my gifting and calling is something else. Your gifting and calling is something else altogether. We don't all fulfill the same role. And certainly we don't do all everything that the church needs to be needs doing in the same way. You're going to have a different way to approach things than I do. And that's okay. That's fine. As long as the task is getting done that God has given us to do, who cares how it's being done? I don't need it done my way. My way is probably not the best way anyway. We got a whole group of people here with with experience and, and intelligence. Man, use it. Use what God has given you for His glory. Don't worry about conforming to how I do things or how somebody else does things. Do it your way. Do it the way God made you. And be content with that. Amen. I think that's all I want to say on that. The body of Christ is supposed to be very diverse and distinctive and full of flavor and life. Amen. That's okay. I don't need to worship my God the same way that you do. And you don't need to worship God the same way I do. When I first came into church... I felt like everybody was expected to jump and shout and dance. And so I did. I never felt comfortable with it. Never. Now I realize I can worship God my way. The way I worship God, I I get into His presence, folks. I receive from Him. It's a powerful experience for me. Now, when other people shout and dance and jump, when they're doing it for the right reason, when they're not doing it because everyone else is doing it, but they're doing it because that's how I worship God. When that happens, boy, I get blessed when they do that. And I can tell the difference, and so can you. You know, you know the difference between putting on a show and, and true worship. When it's true worship, that blesses me. I, I'll, I'll stop for a minute. I'll just watch them. And I just, oh, it excites me. I love it. But unless God really moves, you'll probably never see me do that. But if you want to, if that's you, man, feel free. But we can worship God differently. But we're still worshiping. We're still experiencing the presence of God. We're still blessing the Lord our God. Amen. I fear that the people of God here in the United States have become so 
tiresomely alike. When it is evident in Scripture, we are to be dynamically diverse. Amen. God's people described in Ephesians several ways. And maybe if the Lord is willing, not tonight, we're already well past time. Some of these points we can explore at later points, but... uh, God's people are described in Ephesians as an assembly. We read that in uh, chapter 1, verse 22. And hath put all things under his feet and gave to him to be the head over all things to the church. We'll talk about that word church in just a moment. It's his body. Chapter 1, verse 23. Which is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. In Ephesians 2.10, it explains that we are God's workmanship. I'm just going to kind of skip through here. In chapter 2, verse 19, it, ex- it, it explains that we are his household or his family. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, we see that we are God's temple. And it doesn't state this directly, but it's there by clear implication in chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, that we are his bride. And lastly, chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, we are his army. Now, speaking of diversity, what could be more different than a bride and a soldier? And yet we are called to be both, and even more than that. And we can't focus on just one of them, folks. I can't focus on being a tough, uh, steadfast, skilled soldier and make that my, my life's mission and ignore the fact that I'm part of God's family, that I'm His workmanship, that I'm part of His assembly. I can't ignore those other things either. We are called to be and to fill all seven of these ideals. Okay, church. In the Greek, that's ekklesia, ekklesia, however you'd like to pronounce it. I don't speak Greek. Those that do, please forgive me, because I will be slaughtering this for the rest of the message. Amen. That is translated assembly. Now, what's an assembly? The governing body of a city-state. That's correct. The governing body of a state or a city. Think about that for just a moment before we continue. The assembly is the governing body, the governing body of a city or a state. The church is called, the church means literally an assembly. Okay. It's formed from the Greek verb ekleo, ekleo, again, forgive me, which means I call out. So what we have then is an assembly of people formed by calling them out from a larger group. This word was used secularly well before Jesus came to establish His assembly or His church. We find it used three times in the secular sense in the book of Acts chapter 19. We'll read those briefly. Uh, Acts 19.32 says, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. Same exact Greek word there for church. 
the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not what therefore they were come together. Acts 19.39, But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Acts 19.41 says, When they had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Again, the same Greek word is used here as Jesus used, for I will build my church. The assembly, of course, was a group of people. It wasn't a building. We understand that. Does anybody know where the Greeks would convene their assemblies in? Where did the Greeks convene their assembly when they wanted to meet? In the theater. They would convene in the theater. Or theater. (laughs) As my wife likes to say it. (laughs) At their theater. God's people, God's church is an assembly. Alright, let's talk about the assembly then. We need to answer three questions tonight, hopefully, Lord willing, as it relates to God's people being an assembly. The first and perhaps most important question is, what purpose of God does this serve? A lot of times, and I rather enjoy focusing on this, uh, what God does for us when we get the Holy Ghost. Our first reaction isn't, God must be pleased. I wonder what purpose of God this is going to serve in my life. No, it's, man, I feel great. I spoke in tongues. I'm clean. My, I, 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 I. And as a new convert, maybe rightly so. But at some point, we need to start moving from me to God. What does God get out of this? What purpose of God is being served through this? Amen. So that's what we're going to look at. What is, the, what is God's purpose in the assembly? Why did He form it? How does He use it? We want to look at this as much as possible from God's point of view, not ours. Okay, second question. What does it imply or require in our relationship with God? If I'm part of the army, for example, what does that tell me about my relationship with the commander-in-chief? What, is my, what ought my relationship be there? What are my responsibilities? If I'm part of the bride, what does that tell me about my relationship with the bridegroom? Etc., etc. Third question, what does it imply or require in our relationships with others in this group? If I'm a soldier again, what are my relationships with my fellow soldiers supposed to look like? What are my obligations and my attitudes toward my fellow assemblymen, assemblywomen supposed to be? All right. What's God's purpose for the assembly? Let's start answering questions here. The assembly represents or expresses God's government or authority. I'll say that again. The assembly represents or expresses God's government or authority. Question two. What does it apply or require in our relationship towards God? It requires that we conduct ourselves with order. Decently and in order. When Paul said that, he was referring to our church as an assembly. 
Question three, what does it imply or require in our relationship toward each other? Recognition. We must recognize the office, the ministry that each person in the assembly holds and respect it. Every office is important. No office is more or less than any other office. Amen. What are the conditions of admission into the assembly of God? This is an important question to answer. In the city-state of Ephesus, not everybody was qualified for admission into their assembly. Some were excluded. Slaves, for example, could not be a part of the lawful assembly. They were excluded. Women were not permitted admission into the assembly. Not in Ephesus. I doubt in any ancient civilization. Visitors, strangers, people who were there only temporarily were not permitted access to the assembly. Therefore, it was reserved for free male citizens of Ephesus. Those were the qualifications. If you didn't meet one of those qualifications, you were out. Your vote didn't count. You had no authority, no legal access to the assembly. So what are the qualifications to be in the assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to take a little bit different tack on this here. We'll swing back around to Acts 2.38. Don't you worry. Matthew 16.15-18. Let's look at this for just a moment. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. The first point I want to make here is knowing Jesus as God Knowing Jesus as our Savior cannot come to your little minds, my little mind, except God reveal it to us. Now this rubs people, some people the wrong way. If I just diligently apply myself to search and to study, to logic and to reason, I can discover truth on my own. That is simply not the case, folks. It's not the case. And trust me, I've tried, maybe not as hard as some, But I've tried it that way. I've tried that route. You get into all kinds of miry, craggy, weird things. That's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, when God reveals truth, when He illuminates it to you, it's just like, why didn't I see that before? And there it is. It is important that I know who Jesus Christ is. And I cannot know who Jesus Christ is except God reveal it to me. Amen. Thou art Peter. Peter or Petros or a stone. Upon this rock, Petra, which is more like a cliff, a great craggy cliff, I will build my assembly. 
Peter's not the rock. He's a stone who will be built on Petra, the rock. In this passage of Scripture, the entire emphasis is all on Jesus. I, my. Jesus is taking ownership of this. Now, Jesus is inferring here that there are many assemblies. And he would be right in saying so. Ephesus had their assembly. Athens had theirs. Philippi had theirs. There were many assemblies. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to build mine. I'm going to build my church. Notice the relationship between build and my. If Jesus does not build it, He does not own it. This takes us all the way back to Genesis 1.1. Why in the world does God get to tell me how to live my life? Well, because I'm living in His house. That's why. I can choose to live in another house. Actually, no, I can't. There is no other house. It's all His. That's why He gets to tell me what to do. That's why He gets to tell me right from wrong. That's why He commands everything. That's why He has all power and all authority. It's because He created everything out of nothing. It's all His. Everything is His. And because it's His, because He's the one that built it, He has authority over it. He possesses it. It's His. So when Jesus builds His church, it's His church. He built it. He spilled His blood for it. It's not my church. It's not your church. When we have our business meetings. You know, I've been a part of... These business meetings are amazing. They are fantastic. I love them. I almost look forward to them. Almost. (laughs) Really close. But I've been a part of business meetings, folks. They drag on and on and on. Why? Because people are contentious. People are argumentative. Why did you spend $3.63 on that? Huh? We could have saved that money. We could have put that into missions. The first thing I always want to ask is, how much are you giving to missions, sir? We'll just add it to your offering. Yeah. Anyway, where was I even going with that? (laughs) I just got all these horror stories in my mind now. Oh, yeah, this is his church. Thank you. It got up here eventually. (laughs) When I contribute to God's church, it's not mine anymore. When I give my tithes and offerings to the assembly, to the church, to Jesus Christ, it's his now. It's all his anyway, right? We understand that, but... According to Scripture, I'm giving my tithe, I'm giving my offering. People do that, and then they want to know what's being done with it. How are you using my money? Your money? 
That's not your money. Even if we could say it was, which it wasn't, it's definitely not now. When I go buy a, a burger at Burger King, I don't go back to the manager, uh, how is this money going to be spent? Because I want to make sure my money's being spent properly. Nobody does that. But boy, they get all fiscally responsible when it comes to tithes and offerings, I tell you what. This is his church, folks. It's his. I don't own it. You don't own it. He owns it. Amen. Peter is an example of entry into the assembly. And so is Paul, uh, maybe perhaps more so. First thing we see is a direct confrontation between Peter and Jesus. There's no middle man. At some point, folks, if you're going to come and live for Jesus Christ, if you're going to be saved, if you want entry into this assembly, you have got to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Not with the pastor, not with the pastor's wife, not with the bishop, not with the saint. Jesus. No one else can save you but Him. No one else died for you but Him. You've got to meet Jesus first and foremost. There was a revelation granted Peter by God. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. There it is. If Jesus will reveal Himself to you, you will know who He is. But if He, for whatever reason, withholds that revelation, you will live your life in complete darkness, complete ignorance, not knowing who Jesus Christ is. It must be revealed of Him. Amen. Next point, Peter acknowledged the revelation as true by confessing it, and he confessed it out loud. Amen. Matthew 10:32 and 33 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. There's no secret entry into the, this, this assembly. There's no back door to crawl through. You've got to come through the front door. You've got to be seen by everybody. You've got to be heard. Now, I'm not saying you have to yell at the top of your lungs. Brother McGinnis, is, is, is God deaf? <laughs> Amen. Ask him about that sometime. Uh, he's not deaf. He can, he can hear me just like this. He can hear me like this. He can even read my thoughts. But folks... There's power in the spoken word. We understand that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I think Sister Rudy preached on that at one point. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The, the spoken word is powerful. You speak into the atmosphere. You speak things, spiritual things, into the atmosphere. And when I confessed God's revelation of truth to me out loud, there's power in that, folks. There's power. When I received the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as God gave the utterance, I wasn't whispering. 
Now, I'm a pr- generally a pretty quiet guy. I am not inclined to speak. I would just rather listen. Thank you very much. I'll get you going if I have to. Once you're going, I'm good. I'm just going to sit back and listen to you. But not that night. That night it was all me, son. I was talking up a storm. And I was doing it out loud. Just like you were when you received the Holy Ghost. Amen. Peter's revelation, Peter acted on the revelation he received. He continued to do so until his revelation culminated in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We know what happened there. They received the Holy Ghost, spoke with tongues. It caused quite a commotion. Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. said, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to receive the Holy Ghost. How? He didn't say this in Scripture, but if I would have asked him the question, I would imagine he'd say, just like I did. Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and his band got the Holy Ghost. How did they know that they got the Holy Ghost? Because they spoke in tongues just like we did. That's how they knew. It seems pretty open and shut to me. We can see the exact same process in the life of Paul. Ah, I'm not going to get to the part I wanted to tonight. Lord willing, we'll get there next week, though. No, we won't. I caught it before my wife corrected me. (laughs) We'll pick it up next time. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. As he journeyed... As, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Again, personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul had here on the road to Damascus. They all did, uh, but they were all blinded. Only Paul could hear the voice though. So he was speaking with Jesus. Again, human reason and understanding are insufficient to bring us here. If human reason could, Paul would have got there. If anyone could have done it, Paul would have done it. But he was completely in the dark. He was totally ignorant of this. Hilariously so. One of the smartest guys in all of Israel. He didn't come close to figuring it out until God revealed it to him. Human strength and ingenuity can't get us there. Human reason and understanding are insufficient to bring us here. Will and discipline won't measure up. Nothing works except a revelation of truth from Almighty God. God controls admission, in other words. If He doesn't reveal it, you don't get in. So pray for revelation. If you're praying for an unsaved loved one, pray for revelation. John 10, 1-11 says this, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow. But there are strangers in there. But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, it shall be, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He starts off this passage of Scripture by saying that there are other ways in. For whatever reason, I'd never seen that before. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. I take that to mean this. The wheat and the tares are going to be grown up together. There are people in our congregations nationwide, worldwide, who are not Christian. Decidedly not Christian. Anti-Christian. I don't know why they're there. They're so discord. Exploration. I don't know. But there are people in our congregations like that. They're tares. They're thieves and robbers. Anyone looking and sounding like a Christian, professing a plan of salvation apart from Jesus Christ, he or she is a thief and a robber, a deceiver. Don't give that individual the time of day. I don't care how high up in an organization they are. I don't care how many people they have coming to their church. Any other plan of salvation apart from Jesus Christ is no plan at all. This includes all religiosity, legalism, every human effort to save ourselves. And folks, legalism, it's alive and well in our churches. I hate legalism. I think Jesus hates legalism. He loves holiness. He loves obedience and submission to, to His will and to His plan. But legalism, folks, that's the letter killeth. The Spirit giveth life. Amen. These are a part of the sheepfold today and they probably always will. All I can say to everyone within the sound of my voice is make absolutely sure you're not one of them. Amen. Zion. We, we know what that is, right? One title describes perfectly this idea of God's people assembled together as His governing body. And that is Zion. Every time you see Zion, you'll want to think of God's people met together in divine order under divine authority. Amen. Hebrews 12, 22-24 says this, 
But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. There are several groups of people listed here, or beings. Angels. An innumerable company of angels gathered together in Mount Zion. The church is here. The general assembly, or church, same word, of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Now in verse 23, assembly, it has a different Greek word. Panagurus. Maybe that's right. Panagurus. As far as I can tell, it's the only place it's used in Scripture. And the meaning is somewhat hard to pin down, but the, the best one that I, I saw was from one guy. He said it, it means something akin to a commanding officer's parade. If you've ever been part of a, a change of command ceremony in the army, the higher up the, that change of command is, the bigger the assembly is. If it's a brigade commander, corps commander, uh, you've got a lot of people on that parade field. Marching past, saluting, all kinds of ceremonies. You got people officiating, you got speeches, you got this and that. Everyone throughout the whole thing is standing at attention. And it's like 630 degrees out. <clears throat> but it's a dry heat, so it's okay. <laughs> heard one guy said, Well, a fire is a dry heat too, but I don't want to be in it. <laughs> This is a, a general gathering including believers from every dispensation as well as angels spanning all of time and eternity. This is what we're referring to in Hebrews chapter 12. And it's all a part of this well-ordered, very solemn, authoritative gathering. This change of command ceremony. It's not a change of command, but a ceremony like that. I think now is probably a good time to break. We're about to talk about the assembly's authority. And just as a as a hint, we're going to explore in depth the fact that Jesus Christ possesses all power. He possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, right? It's all been given unto him. How does he exercise that authority, though? How does he exercise that infinite amount of power and authority? I'll tell you. It's through his assembly. It's through the assembly. His governing body. We'll pick up on that next time I get a chance to get up here. Let's all stand. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're so awesome. You're so wondrous. I pray, O oh God, that 
as you continue to reveal these things to us, that you would open our eyes of faith. Open our eyes of faith, Lord Jesus, and help us to understand first and foremost who you are. That you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our Savior, our Redeemer. You are God manifest in flesh. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the one who suffered on a cross and died for me. You are my Savior, my Redeemer. You are my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. Also, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to understand who we are. Who we are in you. That we are a part of the assembly. We are part of your governing body. And we have power and we have authority to exercise in your behalf. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. But more importantly, just as importantly, help us to exercise it in the fear of God. Help us to exercise it in the will and plan of God. For your purpose and for your kingdom and for your glory. These things we ask in Jesus' name.